This will be the last test. Hopefully I'm muting the mic will help it work. We'll see. Well, I hope this works now because I spent the last 20 minutes trying to get the headset to work with my phone and then I realized something as simple as, I don't know, maybe unmuting the mic might help. I was wondering why I wasn't getting anything. I was thinking, I mean, I know my phone is breaking down, but I said, ugh. So it's it's been a minute since I've done a podcast episode and usually when I drop off the radar for extended periods of time, i.e. months, something's usually going down. And then of course, true to form, it was going down and it was going down Biggie style, it was definitely. Like I said, the tectonic plates of my world shifted about a couple feet. Like whatever the Arctic shelf is, whatever it is, dropped a couple feet and just everything. Atlantis disappeared beneath the waves. Just everything went to hell in a handbasket. But it's been an interesting last couple months. So, like I said, started off, like I said, I listened to my last episodes, I kind of looked at them, I kind of, sometimes I browse them because it's an interesting time capsule for me. I go, where was my mind at at that moment? What was I sounding like? And I do realize, I do remember the feeling of the deep depression, this, this sort of despondency, this sort of almost hopelessness, haplessness, this sort of fatalism I had. And after that last episode I did, I really was like sinking into some sort of pit. I, I know I call it loneliness in the pit, and forgive me, this freight miner with external pipes decides to blow his jig next to me. I'm driving the truck right now, going to North Carolina, finished for the day, gotta get back to Carolina. But yeah, I look at him and go, man, guy was down in the dumps. Guy sounds like he's gonna kill himself, and no joke, no funny, I was, I was thinking about it. Actually, I was strongly considering it. Actually, a week after that last podcast, I was out cleaning my backyard in my house and I was actually making it nice I hadn't done it before had all these overgrown weeds and vines and tangled bushes there's trees back there all this pine straw so what I had done was I had just started raking all that pine straw burning it usually I was going to use it for ash for my garden but in the meantime I was getting to see the ground in my backyard and liking it it was a lot more spacious it looked like a park almost I was actually quite pleased I did it to get out of the house because I was just so miserable and you know, life hits you in certain ways, and at this moment, it hit me in a way where I was like, I'm, I'm, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then finally, you know, finally like, one day I got in my truck and I said, that's it. I did a, a kind of a dramatic flourish. I, I went to the post of my garden, and I took my knife out, and I, typed, I carved in Reed was here. Now, those of you who are too young to ever have seen the Shawshank Redemption, there's a scene, obviously, where Brooks... The librarian, kind of the caretaker. He finally gets out of prison after about 60 years. And he goes into the workaday world and he finds out he doesn't fit in at all. Like he misses being in prison. So as opposed to just committing another crime and going back in saying, hey, I'm back. He's depressed. And he types, and he carves his name up on the beam of the apartment, the halfway house where he's saying, says, Brooks was here. And he hangs himself can't take it and I remember feeling that I literally said this is it this is a good day to die and I was like okay I knew how I was gonna do it I was gonna cut my wrist I was gonna bleed out little graphic details you have children obviously you have children they shouldn't be listening to this so don't so cut it out anyway I'm not doing the caveats anymore I'm t everyone caveats I'm not trying to say this or be offensive I don't give a shit how it comes across listen I'm gonna say what I gotta say but 
the truth is, I was going to go cut my wrist. I was going to bleed out. And I was like, I, I, it's a perfect evening to do it. And I left. And the weirdest thing happened. I drove. I was just, I was never going back. And in my mind, I was set on it. But then I got really tired. Like, legitimately, like, exhausted. Because I had been working in the yard all day. And I'm like, I just want to go back and sleep. It was such a weird coincidence because I was worked up emotionally, as in up, as in down. I was in, I was so in the pit of my despair. I was like, you know what? I gotta kill myself. Then I finally sat down with somebody and I just like emptied it. Said, listen, I can't. And then I finally just said, hey, whatever this is, whatever this new world is, I don't know what it's gonna look like, but it's better than this old one. I said. To be honest, I will take the adventure over the stagnation. I will take it over the depression. I will take the anxiety over the depression. More on that later. That's why I left. Left my house. I sat on my wife. I talked to her and I said, listen, I'm out of here. And that's it. Done so. That's all I'm going to say about it. Went back to my uncle's house and I was very serious with him this time. I was like, listen, I'm moving in and this is what's going to happen. And I'm looking to buy some land. My sister bought some land. I'm looking to buy some land and basically live off the land because I've got a taste for this gardening thing. It's actually given me a lot of joy and it's amazing when you grow your own garden vegetables. By the way, you should garden. Like anybody can do it anywhere. You get a couple plastic things, put some soil in it, take care of it, water it, give it sunlight. Listen, it's amazing what you can do. I don't know why everybody isn't gardening. I don't know. I, I love the feeling of going to the supermarket and buying this big thing of spinach and thinking, my yield from last week was better than that. And it's fresher, for God's sakes. But, like I said, I digress. So that... So I had to go through that emotionally, which was, which was pretty trying. But, you know, you, you kind of have to figure it out. And, you know, having small children makes it even harder because, you know, usually if it was just you and the other person... That's an easy move. Listen, bail, cut slack, and get the fuck out of Dodge. That's too easy. But you have children now. See, they're really considerate of all the people involved and everything, especially your small children. That that was really especially difficult. And I said, you know what? I got to step this up now. Because this, this time, it's not going to be the ping-ponging. The ping-ponging is over now. That's done. And I remember playing with them and just kind of feeling like a stranger when I went to go visit them. And I felt like a stranger. My daughter, you know, she she does like the little princess thing and all that stuff. That's girl stuff. I mean, it was more of a modern thing now where people never shut their mouths about being princesses or queens or whatever. I don't get it. I don't like it. Personally, I think it makes people unlikable. My daughter, she does a little harmless stuff. And she's playing and she's talking. And she's bossing the boy around. The boy's just following around. And then, you know, what I was starting to do was trying to teach him how to box. And it was really funny. All of a sudden, I just pulled her, and then she said, Hey, can I do it? I'm like, Spoil little kid, you ain't gonna do no boxing. I was doing a little, I had the bag gloves on, and I was doing sparring. Funniest thing, well, all of a sudden, she took to it pretty well. She's actually, like I said, she's got my build. Because our series are quick, quick sliver, quick. All the way back to Mike and everything. There's certain groups. Sears just were quick. And she's got the quick hands. And she's got the good release. I've trained fighters before. So it was kind of it was kind of funny watching my daughter do it. And my son do it. And kind of do it with them. And teaching them little things. And 
not playing with them. It was really fun. It was kind of interesting to see this little person take to this so quickly. And you're thinking, I don't think this person knows that they're any good at it. But, you know, it's interesting to watch them grow. But it was a nice little way for us to bond because, you know, I mean, there's so few avenues, you know, because she, she's a little girl. You just play with her. I taught her how to play chess. So it's my daughter. She's my oldest kid. And I'm like, hey, I like seeing my oldest kid just do stuff like that. That's really cool. And my son just obviously, little bear, just give him some outlet because all his life is just females, females, females. I mean, at school, I mean, can't help it. The teachers are females. I mean, you know, like I said, they're nice women and everything, and they work hard. But, you know, who's going to let them boys go out and fight? They're not going to let those boys. They can't. They get fired. They get in trouble if they let the boys go out and scrap. So, you know, he goes to school and his mom and his grandma and everything. He, he doesn't get that let's go scrap type of thing. So I got to give that to him, you know, and that's kind of nice to be able to do that, to have that thing with him. So, you know, like I said, I was working my way through that. But, like I said, I hadn't heard, because something went wrong with the therapist's office where the appointments got mishandled and I got kicked down the road for three months. And I was going through all this thinking, damn it, doc, you can't leave me hanging right now. I said, I can do this. We can see what goes on. Well, Christmas came and, you know, New Year's. Uh, the kids got a bug. My wife, now I'm not living at home, but my wife ends up getting pneumonia. So I got to watch the kids. They got still got the bug. She goes to urgent care. They're trying to really figure out what's going on. I'm sitting there at the house like, whatever. And I come down with something a little bit. But I'm like, I ain't, I ain't sick. I ain't sick, right? And so I just do my thing that weekend. I really push it just to show myself I can do it, you know, because like I said, before I got COVID, I never really got sick. I was kind of disdainful of people who did get sick. I mean, I, I know it happens. I seem like I'm meandering right now. It's because this truck is meandering down 95. This is basically the conversational version of a truck. Just put putting down 95. I go 70 miles an hour and I just kind of meander where I go. But interesting thing happened. So I got kind of sick. I kind of stayed home on that Friday, that work week. And I was like, eh, I didn't go into work. And then I went back to work that Monday. And I'll never forget it. I started feeling funny and I had this sort of. And I had this before when I was driving with Benson Trucking. One morning I woke up and I felt like all of a sudden I got hot. And my heart felt like I was racing. It was hard to breathe. And I felt like this flush, lightheaded feeling came over me. Scariest thing in the world. Absolutely terrifying. Because at that moment you're like, what is going on? It feels like something. It feels traumatic. It feels tremendous. All of a sudden, I have a pretty easy run. I'm going to Manning, and then I'm going down to Pauly's Island and pick it up in Wilmington. Okay, good 10-hour day. For an hourly worker, listen, I'm trying to get those hours. I get into Manning, and all of a sudden, I'm feeling funny. And I had this little thing from back when, you know, we were sick a couple months ago, the little smart check thing. It's a little thing that checks your blood oxygen levels and heart rate. Yeah, one of those things. Eh, yeah. And more to that backstory in a minute. I always started checking my thing and I was looking and it was like, my heart rate's going up to like 140. 150. Now, 
I'm an endurance athlete. I do weightlifting, boxing. But I don't get that kind of heart rate unless I'm really pushing it. And I'm the only thing I'm doing at that moment, going to Manning, is driving an automatic truck. I did some tarping earlier that morning. That's fine. I was fine. I wasn't lightheaded. But I felt this thing rush over me. And I felt the difficulty breathing. And I pulled into Manning and looked for the urgent care. Walked into urgent care and said, listen, I'm having difficulty breathing. I don't know what's going on. I got this tightness in my chest. The way I can describe it is it felt like a fat woman with a boot planted on my chest. In the middle of my chest. Just standing on that one leg. I, I, I literally just felt it. I was freaked out. Legitimately. Emerging care. And then the doctor comes in and unlike my town, their urgent care doesn't have like EKG and all kinds of stuff. My town, they do. This one barely had, I was surprised they had a bathroom, frankly speaking. The doctor comes in and she says, the first question she asks is, do you have an anxiety disorder? To me, it's kind of weird. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Listen, I come into this, I don't just come to doctor's offices for the hell of it. I come for a specific reason. If I feel like something's really wrong, I'm going to show up to this office and I want to be taken care of. I like, no, I don't have an anxiety disorder. I didn't mention, hey, I've been dealing with depression for the last year and I wanted to kill myself, but, ah, you know, anxiety disorder. I ain't afraid of nothing. So I didn't understand anxiety disorder. And then she said, well, if you have pressure on your chest or pain, we'll have to call an ambulance. And I said to her, I said, to go to the emergency room at the hospital, which is about 1.6 miles down the road from urgent care. I said, I'm not paying for an ambulance. You're out of your mind. This is America's healthcare system, by the way. I'm thinking, I'm not paying for an ambulance to go 1.6. Yeah, $15,000 bill. Sure. You out of your freaking mind anyway. So I said, nah, miss me with that. And so I got in the truck. And I said, listen. I'll go, and gave me a COVID test, and they checked my thing, and they said, okay, you don't have COVID, whatever, whatever good those tests are. I, I, I don't know if those tests are any good. I don't know if they're placebos. I don't know. I'll get to that later. So I drove to the emergency room. I checked in, and I was like, oh, God, this is going to cost so much money. Like, having insurance, and I have insurance, but I don't have, like, like that high-grade insurance. I don't have that every check you lose a thousand dollars insurance so you go into the doctor every five minutes you're paying barely anything i'm thinking i don't go to the doctor like that i kind of aim to stay healthy and be preventive in it you know I, I want it just in case something bad happens so i go in and i'm like i'm not looking like an ass but i'm not looking to spend time at the hospital like that i'm like listen all goes well hypothetically i just dropped dead i don't want to have this long drawn out thing i'm like i'm not about that so i go in there they look at my EKG, because I don't know if I mentioned from before, when I went to the heart doctor, my EKG is abnormal, but it's normal. It's one of those funky things you should have on hand, just like I said, I should have it on hand, because when doctors look at my EKG, they're going to go, that looks weird, but then after they're having the heart workup, the extensive heart workup, it's like, oh, heart's perfectly normal, nothing's wrong with it. Everything checks out good. So I gave them my EKG, they took the blood test, they said, yeah, that looks weird. Then they said, oh, yeah, it's not weird. You didn't have a heart attack, you didn't have anything. And the doctor's coming in, and she's like, you take the, took the chest x-rays, we don't see any pneumonia. I'm thinking, I feel like somebody's standing on my chest right now. And I, I, I definitely felt the, the decreased lung capacity. 
And so she gave me a prescription for an antibiotic, and I was in Manning. My company came and picked up the truck because I was out of commission for the day. I was in the emergency room for nine hours watching The Middle on the TV, which is a TV show about this white family in the middle of the country and their kind of suburban antics. I don't get it, but hey, it did the job. And so it was just such a weird experience. And I took the antibiotic, it felt better, and, but something lingered in me. And it was this anxiety that would mount into panic attacks. Now, I, I had heard of panic attacks, and I, you know, you read about it, because I started looking into it. And I was like, holy shit, I'm having panic attacks. Sorry for the swearing, but I'm having panic attacks right now. And the thing about panic attacks is, it's not like you're like, oh my god, I'm so scared. It's like the sensation and the symptoms are so real. I would bet my life on it every time. The, the flushing, the hotness, the kind of the feeling of like being flushed down a toilet, the lightheadedness, the difficulty catching your breath, your heart rate's picking up. In fact, a week after I left the hospital, after I stayed home for that week, I went back to work and I said, you know what, we're just going to do this work thing and glad to be back. I was fine that whole week. Then Thursday, and I'm jinxing myself because now it's Tuesday today. I know Thursday's coming up, but I'm eager for it. Thursday, I was going to Sanford, North Carolina. So I'm about an hour down the road from the yard. I'm in, I'm in McBee. I'm behind these trucks, and these sensations start to kind of trigger a psychosomatic response. All of a sudden, I start getting that feeling, and I have to pull the truck over. I feel like I'm going to die. I'm like, this, it's so insane. Like, it's so sudden and out of nowhere because I'm driving through town thinking it's a beautiful sunny day. I pull over, take a piss. I have an easy load. I have a couple of Sanford drops, and I go to Apex, and I'm done. It's easy. Be back by 4, 4.30. All of a sudden, it feels like the end of the world is happening. And I freak out. And I'm like, what on earth? And I call my mom. I, I tell my mom, this time I don't go, I'm having a heart attack. I go, mom, I'm having a panic attack, and it's bad. And she starts reading to me the definition of a panic attack and what the gland in the brain, the hypothalamus, I think it is, how it's secreting all these hormones and the stress hormones. And her saying that, and I got out and walked around for a little bit, I felt better. I drove down the road, but I still felt kind of off. It was scary. The thing about it, it was it left me on edge that whole day. But I started to kind of come down from it. I started to sing to myself. I started to think to myself. I started to go, I got to do something about this stress stuff, this panic attack stuff. I can't go on like this. My life is already changing enough. I have enough stress. I can't have a panic attack. And so, like I said, I go to my dog. I talk about my depression, my loneliness. And one of the parts about being lonely is where I factors into this is it gets weird because all of a sudden you're out by in a truck by yourself and these symptoms hit. It's not as if you're in an office where somebody can look across and go, hey man, you're going to be all right. Hey, just take a breather for a second. Hey, we got you. And you go, got it. Hey, thanks. No, no, no. You're in a truck, sometimes on a long country road. And the thoughts that go in my mind are, what if I had a heart attack? What if I'm legitimately having a heart attack on this back country road? Who would get me? And what was my answer? My answer was nobody. All right. And I started 
looking into ways to treat it. Before I go to an actual doctor, psychotherapist, or whatever, I wanted to treat it. I said, you know, I can't. I can't do this. I can't. I, I listen. Then I then I had to realize they're gonna do this. You can do this, and you should do this. And it's like, well, why? And I was reading about it. A lot of the stuff about exposure therapy and about facing this thing head on because panic attack is basically your fight or flight or freeze symptoms kicked into high gear. Basically, you're ready to go. Now, if a lion or a tiger were to show up, yeah, I would freak out and try to run. Unless I had like a spike stick, I might make a run at the lion. Like, not to be sound like I'm some sort of badass. I just, I, I tend to believe a lot of times that's what I would do automatically. I tend to do that. And like I said, used to box it. It's kind of a funny thing. Is the thing I notice is you're facing somebody with a big punch, and I'm talking about like a one hitter quitter, somewhere they can knock your block off, one shot. You tend to not want to get near them. You don't want to really give them a shot to get off, right? So what do you do? You tend to box at the end, and the whole time they're just range finding, though. They don't realize it. You're throwing your jabs and your one twos, and you're moving. You're trying to get away from them. Yeah, the whole time they're just checking their range. They're loading that bomb up. The way to beat a puncher like that? Crowd them. Crowd them. Swarm them. Get in their face. Punch them in close quarters. Don't give them a chance to find their range or even to load their weapon. Make them throw that super powerful punch from weird angles now because they're getting hit. Make them sweat. Wear them down. I mean, listen, for all the. I'm, I'm the biggest Mike Tyson fan there was. As a kid, I believed in Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was my guy as a five-year-old boy. Russell Douglas dismantled him. He literally just took the one-two one right after him and just kept it up and kept the pressure and made him work for it. Not to mention Mike Tyson wasn't training that well. He didn't have Kevin Rooney. The guy who was in his corner was an idiot. Didn't know crap about boxing. Like, just, just bad coaching. But... But I started to look into ways. I said, listen, I've got to treat this. I can't sit here and do this forever. I can't. I can't sit here and be running from this. I said, I have to run to this. It's kind of a weird point in my life now. I'm like, I'm 38. I don't have time for this anymore. This is kind of shit. Depression, loneliness, and all that stuff. I don't have time for this anymore. I have to take care of myself. And I said, and I had to start telling myself, okay, you're nervous about going outside and exercising. You might have a heart attack. Go do it. And I feel better for having done it. It's just funny how little things, how the body is made up, and how, like I said, here, here's how a panic attack for me would usually start. So I drive. I, do, I usually drive with my left hand on the steering wheel of the truck. It's kind of extended, so my shoulder's kind of rounded forward. My posture's poor. Inside that shoulder blade, because I do a lot of stuff that works the back, it might start to hurt. Now, I've associated that with... This might be a heart attack because, you know, they inside your shoulder, left shoulder blade is a heart attack. Google on the internet has not helped anything. Like I said, because I'm sorry for touching the mic. It hasn't helped anything because now we have access to all this information, which is most likely the worst case scenario versus, hey, you probably pulled your muscle. You probably did pull-ups five days in a row. It probably muscle needs to rest and you're rounding your shoulder. Instead of, I go to, hey, listen, um... That's a heart attack thing. You probably check it out, which makes your heart beat faster, which makes your lungs breathe faster, which takes blood that goes away from your brain, which makes you lightheaded, all this stuff. It works in like a devilish symphony. 
So that's what I've been dealing with now, day to day now, is dealing with this anxiety and the fear of the panic attack, although I'm kind of halfway in the middle. Yeah, I know. It was utterly redundant. Halfway in the middle, the same thing. Got it. But I'm in the middle about it. Because there's a part of me that's like, I, I fear the panic attack. The other part of me that's like, come get me. Come kill me. I don't care. It's like, this is natural. Like, anxiety is not a bad thing unto itself. It's your body being aware. It's the part of me that is aware that when people don't want to be around me or don't want to talk to me, I'm aware of that. I don't show up thinking such and such is my friend. I'm very, very attuned to this person wants nothing to do with me. I'm not really going to mess with them. Because that anxiety, whatever that is, feeds that. It lets me know, hey, you're kind of not wanted here. Maybe you should back up. So, like I said, it's not a bad thing, but it's something that has to be managed. And managed in a way where it's like, listen, if those feelings run free, let them run free, but don't let them damaging. Like I said, one of the, one of the doctors, he was something very powerful. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. I do things that physically make me uncomfortable when I get home. I do them for time periods. I'll hyperventilate. I'll spin around in a chair. I'll spin around standing up. Sorry, I hit the mic again. I can't resist hitting that mic. It's like a little boxing bag. Doing these things, because doing them breaks that association when I'm in the truck where I go, why am I feeling this lightheaded? Like right now, I still kind of feel motion sick from having done the spins yesterday, but it's like I did it in a controlled environment and I was fine. So, so that's what's been going on the past couple of months. I don't know, like I said, Working through all this stuff, but anxiety has become now the fourth member of my band. I have loneliness, depression, and rage, and I guess anxiety is playing the drums, setting the beat. So it's just doing that thing. Department of Transportation guys sitting in the median looking around. Other than that, like I said, there there are times where it sucks. It really does. And there are times like right now where I go. Well, I should probably stay home until I get this figured out. I go, you know what? I'd rather have a panic attack doing what I love to do. And you know what? I've come around to it. I love driving a truck. Like, I'm driving an automatic Freightliner right now. It's a fantastic little truck. It does its thing. Like I said, I'd rather be jamming gears. I'd like to be on an extended shifter at a Peterbilt or a KW. I like, I like Freightliners, you know? I'm making good money at this job. It's kind of low-key. It's easy. I get paid more than I did hauling gas. I'd have to run 70 hours hauling gas to get this kind of money that I'm making in 49 hours hauling a flatbed. Just chilling, riding, listening to podcasts. Funny story, so I, uh, my iPod, which is integral to my day-to-day life as a truck driver because I don't listen to the radio because it's stupid and I don't like commercials. And I don't like hearing the same three songs played over. So I get my stuff where I play my songs over and over. <laughs> Anyway, so it, I had synced these podcasts, and you know, oh, shout out to the Terrence Henry experience. That's a small podcast I was listening to. Guy's pretty good. He's funny. I enjoyed him. I was like, this guy's amazing. Black guy in Philly. I said, as a guy from New Jersey, I go, oh, I kind of relate to this guy a little bit. Talking about his anxiety, his panic attacks. I said, oh, funny story about panic attacks. Not funny as in haha, but as an interesting is that when, you, when I go on those videos online, I look at the comments, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what I'm expecting to see. 
But there's so many people thinking that, saying that they thought they were alone. That's the one thing about panic attacks. You think you're alone. You think you're going crazy because nobody wants to show up to the emergency room. Because first of all, the hospitals in America, everything costs everything. Like, just to go in there, sit in that room, because it's a specialized staff, you're going to get a nice big fat bill. They're going to be looking for you to pay. You better have money. Because it's like, you go in the emergency room, you're just thinking, you're not thinking my health and my life, because health is wealth. Nah, nah, you're not thinking that. What you're thinking is, what's this bill going to look like? Never mind if you see tomorrow. Never mind if you see the sunshine or the birds or the beautiful grass. You may never see that again, but you're thinking about the bills as if tomorrow is promised. So the thing about it is, like I said, I don't know where I was going with that point. I'm getting old now. Like, I literally just went off onto a tangent and I said, how did I get there and everything? I don't know. But a lot of people think that they're alone. And you think you're crazy going into the emergency room because you have these symptoms. They are real. They are not unreal symptoms. But they're not a heart attack. <laughs> it's such a weird thing. And it's and Google, of course, being Google doesn't help where it's like, listen, what's the difference between a heart attack and a panic attack? Well, a panic attack, you have pressure in the chest. Heart attack, you have pressure slash pain in the chest. And then all the symptoms are the same. And you're like, so at what point do I know this is a panic attack? You don't. That's the part that makes it scary. That's the part that makes it unnerving. And that for me, ultimately, that was the part where I said, I'm not sweating it. I can't. Like, if it happens, pfft, it'll happen. I'll pull the truck over in the middle of the road if I have to chill. Fine. I love being out here driving a truck. I'm thankful for every day. That's one of the things I'm thankful for about the panic attacks. Besides the idiots in cars that speed around the right, okay. I get to do this job. Like I said, felt kind of funny this morning. Left from Columbia, went all the way up to Morrisville, North Carolina, on the outskirts of Raleigh, on the west side of Raleigh, near Durham. Along the way back. I ain't mad. It's a nice little rug, just riding. It's just chilling. And thankful for it. Like I said, making good money. Exercise. I'm going to go home and exercise. My back might be hurting. I said, I'm going to try one-arm pull-up today. But some more positives, like I said. And end on a positive note. Like I said, moving in back with my uncle. I used to do a lot of Hungry Man meals and DiGiorno's pizzas. And I said, I got to really step up my eating healthy game. Like, really. So I had to start learning how to cook, cook for real, real. It's kind of fantastic, by the way, because you got this convection oven, so I'm cooking up chicken, making the chicken, getting the wings ready, the drumsticks, making steaks, bacon. I made bacon for the first time. I, I'm, I, I can make a mean omelet, but I've never made bacon before. Bacon's ridiculously easy. I love bacon. It's fantastic. I'm thinking, maybe throw a little eggs in the bacon grease. I'm thinking, we worked there my whole life. I'm just discovering stuff. I'm thinking, you know what? Next couple weeks, I'm doing a roast. I'm doing ribs. I go in there. I just grab a meat, and I go... I'm going to figure something out with this. And it's funny because on Saturday, I'll, I just made like four steaks, about 15 drumsticks, put all the seasoning on them and everything, prepared them, cooked them, took the internal temps. I'm loving it. And it's like steak came out great. So I like today, every night I have steak and eggs with vegetables that I cut from my garden. I'm thinking, I can't wait for the summertime. I'll have turnip greens. I'll have collard greens. I'll have spinach. I'll have celery. I will finally finish figure out what to do with the pea plants. I, 
I wish one of you who was a gardener would show me what in the heck do you do with pea plants? I, I, I get them all the way to the very end and they do nothing. Of course, I left the house, like I said. I knew it was time for me to leave when I went out collecting, but my baby pepper plants, which I babied all year and gave me peppers, died in the cold snap. That was really one of the things that made me think, you know what? That's a sign from heaven. <laughs> it's time to get out of here. Move out. <laughs> I said, my poor baby peppers. I broke my heart. That made me so angry. I can't tell you how that hurts. Talking Because I had sweet peppers. One the size of a baseball. And they were growing so nice. And the, the hot peppers. And I was thinking, oh, what a marvelous marvelous finally my baby peppers are getting it and the cold snap just killed them i said f this cold snap f this oh because i had wrapped them up in plastic i did everything to keep them warm and it didn't work and i said whatever that hurt that was really the day i left i looked at my peppers and that was like a sign from heaven that was an omen saying gtfo and i said roger that tenfold so that's enough of my rambling right now. Like I said, I hope everything finds you well, safe. I don't know what country you're living in right now. Like I said, obviously people, you know, everyone's worried about the COVID thing, the Omicron, and it, it's craziness. Like I said, whatever side of the vaccination issue that you're on, whatever side, I think that we can all agree that this has just been mishandled. This has been a goat, you know what, from the word go. It's just been bad. And like I said, and I felt like talking about anxiety was apropos because it's like it's all we're fed i remember when covid first came out oh my god talk about just giving you a case of covid before you had it it's like listen we're going to show you inside italian hospital it's horrible because these are people who are dying and we're just looking at videos and we're getting tons of footage and all this stuff and now like i said and it's just a bummer to see what it's done but like i said the good thing about it is, is it makes you kind of focus on what's more important. Your family and your immediate life. People around you. People that care. That care for you. You have to focus on them now. Like I said. And get off of social media if you can. Like I said. Clear your mind of that. Like not having had social media for a year now. It's been amazing. It's been miraculous for me. I, I feel so much better. I feel so much more alive. But, like I said, let me, let me put, put on down this road. I'm not just going to ramble or talk your ear off. Hope this finds you well. Like I said, I appreciate you all who listen. I hope, like I said, gives you a little insight into what someone like me, someone who's kind of on the fringes of society, because, you know, for all the talk about, oh, the supply chain, this, I don't see a lot of truckers getting interviewed. Truckers are pretty smart, by the way. I don't know if you know that. Truckers are pretty damn smart. This sort of idea that they're all idiots. I don't know where that came from. Like I said, because the people in suits on oversight committees, they're much smarter than we are. <laughs> yeah, nah. But I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you healthy, taking care of yourself, eating good, appreciating the little things. Like I said, tomorrow's not promised. We all think we're going to wake up and go to sleep at night, but listen to you. One thing I learned from driving these roads is there's a lot of people that got up, thought they were going to get a cup of coffee, that never made it home. And it's heartbreaking to look at, so cherish the moment. Like I said, all you have is the present. Be thankful for it. 
like I said, the past is the past, and don't worry about the future. It'll come if it's meant to. But in that case, if it's meant to, I'll catch you on the flip side.